Just over 40 years ago, I was a seven-year-old, almost eight-year-old boy. I was raised in a Christian home, so from my earliest memories, I can recall hearing about the gospel and knowing who Jesus was and hearing the stories of the Bible and being brought up in that environment. But for the first time, when I was seven years old, I came to a full understanding that I was a sinner and I was in need of a Savior. I understood that God is a holy God and that I was a sinner and that my sin separated me from God. And I understood what God had done in sending his son Jesus from heaven to earth as the long-promised Messiah, the one who would come and fulfill the law of God as only he could do, the one who would give his life as a sacrifice for our sins, who died in our place, the one who was buried in a borrowed tomb and was raised from the dead in resurrection power on the third day, the one who gave uh, parting instructions to his church and to his disciples and then ascended back into heaven to the right hand of God the Father. I knew the basics of that story and I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. A little bit after that, I was baptized in believer's baptism. I can remember the night that I was saved as clear as I can see you before me today. And I can remember the time that I was baptized when I professed my faith in Christ and the significance of that. And I can tell you that through the years, I've not always been faithful to the Lord. There have been many times where I have failed him and done things along the way that were displeasing to him. But I promise you, the Lord has never failed me. Even in times of my life where I have been faithless, God has always remained faithful. And that's what I want to bear testimony of here to today. And as we look together at the scripture, we're going to consider the significance of believer's baptism. And as we think about the significance of believer's baptism, we can't understand the baptism without understanding the gospel. So you'll see these interwoven together as we consider the scripture together today. And if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to what we commonly know as the Great Commission. And we're going to read that here in just a moment as we think through this subject of believer's baptism. Now, Jesus completed his purpose on the earth, his mission to seek and to save that which was lost. He finished his work, and after he was raised from the dead, he was on the earth for some days, and it was time for him to go back to be with the Father in heaven. And he gave some parting instructions to his disciples in By way of giving these instructions to his disciples, we have the word and these instructions are for us as well. And I begin reading in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, and it says, Jesus came near and he said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus gave a direct command or imperative here in this passage. At first glance, you might think that that direct command or imperative is go, but that's not it at all. The direct imperative here for us is to make disciples. Everything in this passage hangs on the idea of what it means to make disciples. 
Now, Jesus told us how we're to make disciples, and he says we're to go. Literally, the intent there is as you are going, as you are progressing through your life, as you are going about your time on this earth, you are to make disciples. And as disciples who are making disciples, we're baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who have come to know Jesus And we're teaching them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded. And we're given this wonderful promise here that as we do these things, Jesus is with us. His presence goes with us along the way. And we are serving in his authority under the commission of God, doing the work of God in the world. Now I want you to notice here what our statement of faith has to say about baptism. Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. The believer's death to sin, the burial to the old way of life, and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. It is a testimony to his faith in the final resurrection of the dead. Being a church ordinance, it is a prerequisite to the privileges of church membership and to the Lord's Supper. What I want to do in these few moments that we have together are share with you uh, three truths about baptism. And the first is this. Baptism is a profession of faith. Baptism is a profession of faith. Now, Matthew's gospel records for us the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. It's interesting that from the birth of Jesus to the time of the public ministry of Jesus, we're not given a lot of information about his life during that time other than that he grew in wisdom and in stature. We are given some snapshots in there, like when Jesus was in the temple and he was teaching and his parents were looking for him. But he comes fully on the scene here in the Gospel of Matthew, and his public ministry is recorded throughout the Gospel. So if you take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we basically have are a composite portrait of the public ministry of Jesus for around three years of the time that he was ministering, authenticating who he was as the long-awaited Messiah, and then the testimony of his death and his resurrection and his final instruction to the church. There is a man who is called John or John the Baptist in the New Testament. He was a cousin of Jesus. Now, John's gospel, the beloved disciple, not John the Baptist, gives us a testimony about John the Baptist. And he said that John came to bear witness to the light, but he was not the light. He came as a forerunner of the Messiah, but he was not the Messiah. He came in obedience to God to tell people that there was one who was coming who could take away their sins. So John was preaching a message of repentance and the importance of being forgiven of our sins. He was anticipating Jesus to come in his fullness and John was baptizing with a baptism of repentance, also in anticipation of Jesus coming. So just imagine John, this 
character who was a prophet who's out there in his camel's hair and he's kind of a rough character and he's on the backside of the Jordan River somewhere, uh, maybe down closer to the Dead Sea. And he's preaching this message of repentance and baptism. He's awaiting Jesus and then Jesus comes. And we're gonna look at a passage in Matthew chapter three. So if you would turn back in Matthew to chapter three and we'll begin reading here in verse 13. And what we have here is a testimony of what happened when Jesus was baptized. Now, Jesus was baptized as an inauguration of sense, in in a sense of his public ministry, and also as an example to us. But we see the power of the presence of God in his baptism. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 13 says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? Jesus answered him, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Imagine for a moment if you were John the Baptist. You're just a servant. You're a prophet. You're doing what God set you apart to do. The Holy Spirit was with him even in his mother's womb. He's out there preaching this message of repentance, telling people that there was one who was coming, and then all of a sudden, there he was. John objected to baptizing Jesus. He said, I need to be baptized by you. But Jesus, insistent on being baptized, told John that it was the way for them to fulfill all righteousness. So John did what Jesus told him to do, and he baptized him. In that moment, the heavens were opened and the spirit of God descended like a dove and the voice of God the father rang forth this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased in that moment was a manifestation of the triune God God the father God the son and God the Holy Spirit and it marked out the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus Now notice the transition here because it's an important transition. It was a culmination of the ministry of John the Baptist in a way because now here was Jesus. His job as the forerunner of Jesus was complete. He had announced him. He was baptizing him. But it marked a transition while it was the end of John the Baptist's ministry in that regard at least. It was the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus. And the public ministry and the public mission of Jesus would have eternal consequences because Jesus did what God the Father wanted him to do. And that was he left heaven and came to earth on a mission. And his mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. And he came to accomplish the purpose that God had sent him for. And now he's beginning that public ministry with his baptism. Now, if we follow the Bible... The mode of baptism is important. 
And the mode of baptism that is indicated in the scripture is by immersion. The word baptizo has significance. It was used outside of the New Testament to speak of fabrics that were dyed commercially in that day and they were dipped all the way in the water so that they would come out the color of the of the particular dye that they were using. And baptism, by its very nature, is by immersion. Now, I'm not real smart, but let's just follow the logic here. If Jesus came up out of the water, that means that Jesus was in the water. And we'll see an example of that here in just a few moments from another illustration in the Scripture. So it doesn't say that Jesus was standing on the banks of the Jordan River, And John the Baptist reached down and got a handful of water and then sprinkled him on top of the head. That's not what it says. It says that Jesus came up out of the water, meaning that he was in the water. And this is the meaning of Christian baptism. It is by immersion, and that is the record of the New Testament. Baptism is a public profession of faith that Jesus is the promised Messiah, Savior, and Lord. Don't miss the connection. It is an outward sign of an inward belief. Baptism can save no person. We must be clear on this point. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus. So the moment that we understand that we're sinners and that God has made the way for us to be forgiven of our sins and to have eternal life, When we trust in Jesus by faith, the Spirit of God regenerates us, and he makes what was dead now alive. He makes what was separated from God now reconciled to God. What can wash away my sins? Not the waters of baptism. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. So, Baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality of what takes place in us when we're saved. And I should also note here that according to the biblical record, baptism always follows saving faith. You say, wait a minute now, pastor. I've got friends that are uh, professing believers in Christ and they go to a denomination or to a church that practices infant baptism. Where in the world did they come up with that from? Well, in one way, they connect it to circumcision in the Old Testament. And they say that by baptizing an infant, they're carrying on with the pattern of circumcision. Some believe that that baptism confers grace, meaning that it actually saves the baby. Others believe that it's a sign of being a part of a covenant family. And at a later point in their life, they have to come to faith in Jesus on their own and be saved. Both are unbiblical. Both are wrong. They've also tried to make the argument that household baptisms in the New Testament meant that somehow infants were baptized. But you will not find one place in the Word of God that says that an infant was baptized. Every example of baptism in the Scripture is of someone who has believed in Jesus by faith, and then because of their desire to follow him, then they make a public profession saying, I'm not ashamed to be identified with Jesus Christ as my Savior 
and as my Lord. So the mode of baptism is important. The significance of baptism is incredibly important. And there are two passages that I would refer to in the New Testament. One being Romans chapter 6. The other being Ephesians chapter 4. And I'll note, neither of these have a drop of water in these passages. Instead, what it is, is it's a spiritual reality. It's telling us what happens when we are baptized by the Spirit into the family of God. So when the Spirit baptizes us and then we in turn are baptized by immersion in believer's baptism, we're saying to the world, this is what has happened to me because my faith is in Jesus. So Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, Paul writes, Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. And then Ephesians chapter four and verse four through six, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in all. Baptism as a profession of faith is a demonstration of the gospel. It's saying I'm being buried to the old way of life because I've been buried spiritually to that old way of sin in Christ. The spirit of God has done something new in me and I'm now being raised to life and I'm publicly professing that. The second truth about baptism is Baptism is a step of obedience. In the Great Commission, Jesus said that we are to teach his disciples to obey everything that he has commanded. Obedience to Jesus is a very important issue. I don't think that it's possible to truly embrace Jesus as Savior unless we also follow Jesus as Lord, unless we're willing to obey Our obedience does not earn us our salvation. Our obedience is evidence that we've been saved. Our obedience doesn't add up good works so that God will accept us into heaven. Our obedience is a demonstration that we have been accepted by God in Christ. And here's the connection to baptism. Baptism is the first commandment for a new believer to obey. Jesus submitted to the will of God the Father in his baptism as an example to us. We submit to the will and the call of Jesus in our baptism as his disciples. I want to draw your attention to Acts chapter 8 and the story of the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip the evangelist. If you'll turn over to Acts chapter 8 just for a moment, we're going to read that passage of scripture just to set the scene. Philip, the evangelist, was in the region called Samaria. He's preaching the gospel. He's seeing the spirit work in powerful ways. There's an untold number of people who are coming to faith in Jesus. And in the midst of all of that, God had a plan for him to go down to a fairly desolate place and bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to this man who was an Ethiopian. Beginning in verse 26 of Acts chapter 8. It says, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. 
So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. And when Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shear, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? The eunuch said to Philip, verse 34, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about, himself or someone else? Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus and he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So here's Philip in the middle of this revival and he's sent to this eunuch. This Ethiopian man is sitting in his chariot. He's been up to the temple for worship. So in one regard, he was a seeker. He, he was interested in the things of God. No doubt God had already stirred in his heart and was bringing him along to an understanding of what he needed to do to believe in Jesus. And he's sitting there reading from the prophet Isaiah when Philip comes up to him. Now, in part, this passage that is referred to here is Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is the Messiah, the suffering servant who would bear our sins so that we could be reconciled to God. And Philip's talking to this man. He said, do you understand what you're reading? And the man said, how can I understand what I'm reading unless somebody explains it to me? And beginning with that scripture, Philip preached Jesus to the Ethiopian and he believed and wanted to be baptized. Now, this was a divine appointment. Every appointment is not like that. For some of us, it's a series of events and it's a number of people who have borne testimony to us, a number of people who have prayed for us. And I know if he had opportunity to do it this morning, my friend Craig that I baptized a few minutes ago would tell you that God has orchestrated people in his life. And some of you are here today who have been patient and explained the gospel and prayed for Craig along the way and witnessed to him as God gave you the opportunity. And there was a moment in time when God brought him to faith where he was able to open his eyes spiritually and see what the scripture was teaching and believe. So for some, it's immediate like the Ethiopian. For some, it takes a little while longer. But for all of us who are Christians, we should want to see ourselves in the example of Philip. Philip was filled with the Spirit. Philip was ready to bear a testimony about Jesus. Philip was willing to obey what Jesus, what God told him to do through the Spirit and to give testimony about Jesus. And when he got there, God just used him. 
You see, that's what God does for us. We, we just have to make ourselves available to be used by God. We have to be prepared and to be filled with the Spirit and to love people enough to tell them that there's good news and his name is Jesus. And in that moment, he baptized the Ethiopian as they came to the body of water. And I would note once again, they went down into the water and he came up out of the water pointing again to us to the mode of immersion in believer's baptism, but he wanted to be baptized. So here's the point I want to make to you. Obedience in the Christian life begins with your yes to God. Obedience in the Christian life says, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. Yes, Lord, I want to obey you. And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And did you know that if we're not ashamed of Jesus before men, he'll not be ashamed of us before his Father in heaven. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 32 and 33 says, Everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. So if the first commandment of Jesus after our salvation is to be baptized, then who would think of saying no to baptism? Let me say this another way. It will be similar to being married and being ashamed you were married. Somebody asks you, are you married? Oh, well, not sure. Now, your wife or your husband wouldn't like that very well. Jesus doesn't like it when we're ashamed of him. We would not think of doing that. And we should not think as Christians of not being baptized because that's the commandment of Jesus. You say, well, how long should it be between the time that you come to faith in Christ and you're baptized? Well, the biblical answer is not very long. Not very long at all. In fact, If you are able to give a credible profession of faith that you have understood the gospel and that you are desiring to follow Jesus with your life, then you can be baptized. Now, obviously, we need to be careful with children. We see children sometimes follow after other children and just do it because another child is doing it or they may not fully have an understanding of the gospel or give a good profession of faith. We have a sacred responsibility not to rush them through, but we also have a responsibility entrusted to us that if they believe the gospel and understand it like I did when I was seven years old, then they can follow in believer's baptism because they want to obey Jesus. Suffer not the little children but let them come unto me. So obedience in baptism is evidence of our love for Jesus. And our motivation is gratitude to God. When you get baptized, you're getting up there in that water and you're just saying, thank you, God, for giving me physical life. Thank you, God, for giving me spiritual life. And I want to identify my life with you because I believe that you are my Savior and Lord. And it's just gratitude to God saying, thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. And it's a desire to bear witness for him and experience the blessing of God. Now, here's what I believe. I believe that in the heart of every true Christian is a desire for obedience. And you might be here today and you've professed Christ as your Savior, 
but you've not followed through with the step of believer's baptism in obedience to him. Maybe it's because you've not been properly taught or there have been other circumstances along the way that have caused you to get distracted and not obey Jesus in this way. It doesn't matter what's happened in the past. What matters is today, as you understand the gospel and you hear the call to publicly profess him, will you obey Jesus and be baptized? The third truth is baptism is a connection to the church. Now don't miss this because individualism and consumerism and mobility have caused church membership in, in general just to fall by the wayside in many regards. Many people don't think that it's important at all. And I don't have time this morning to fully build the case for why I believe church membership is actually a thing in the New Testament. And I believe that it is. And I can make a strong and a solid case for that. So let me just lay a quick foundation here for you and help you understand why baptism is important as a connection to the church. When you come to faith in Jesus, you become a part of the global and eternal family of God. You belong to him because of what Jesus has done and because of the spirit bringing you to life. Your sins are covered. You have the gift. You're on your way to heaven. But when you are baptized, you are connecting yourself to a local body of believers for accountability, for worship, for service with your spiritual gifts, for the organizing of God's mission and God's ministry. And you're just saying, these are the people that I'm going to serve God with, and we're going to be faithful to carry out the mission of God in the world. Now, if you're thinking, let me say here just quickly by way of the illustration I gave in the last point in Acts chapter 8, there was no church visibly and locally to what our knowledge is to which the eunuch was baptized and entered into. But Acts was also formative. It was the time where the church was being established, the principles were being put into place, and we should not use one example like that and say, well, therefore, baptism has nothing to do with the church because that's not the record of the New Testament at all. In fact, if you look at the record of the New Testament, here's the pattern. People believed in Jesus, they were baptized, and they were added to the number of the church. Now, I find that interesting. Why would it say that people were being added daily to the number of the church? Well, apparently, they knew what the number was. Apparently, they knew who was gathering with them to worship and to work for God. And they knew who they were responsible for in the ministry of God's word, in the carrying out of God's work in the world. And repeatedly, there are references in the New Testament to members of the household of God. So there are examples in Scripture where the structure of leadership is dependent on the local church. The commitment to serve is dependent on the local church. Discipline for the purpose of correction and restoration, should people go off on a tangent and, and be in a wrong way with their relationship to the Lord, is within the context of the local membership of the church. The ordinances are exercised through the ministry of the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are all responsibilities through the local church. And here's what the scripture says in um, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19 and 20. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with the saints 
and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. So it's by way of mutual commitment, and it's also by way of our witness to the world. That we've died, we have been buried to self, and we are raised to walk in the newness of life. Baptism declares you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Baptism is a demonstration of your faith in and your commitment to Jesus. And baptism is important as a foundation for the Christian life. So I ask you these two questions as I close. First, have you come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord? It's a straightforward question. It's a yes or no. There, there's no maybe answer here. It's not a, I hope so. It's, it's either yes or it's no. So have you said yes to Jesus? Have you said yes to the good news? And are you right with God? If you are and you have, you've got a lot to be thankful for. And you ought to praise the Lord with your life and with your lips and give him the glory for what he's done for you. And if you haven't, at a very minimum, this is a time for you to consider not what the preacher has said, but for you to consider what the Bible says. For you to consider who Jesus is. For you to think through how you can be right with God. And maybe today's your divine appointment. And God has brought you to this place for a reason. Because you need to meet Jesus. Paul wrote in Romans, if you will confess through your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Today is the day of salvation. Today could be the day that you enter into the eternal family of God. And then the second question is, have you been scripturally baptized? Again, it's a yes or it's a no. If it's a yes, think back to that moment that you were baptized and what a blessing it was to not be ashamed of the gospel, to publicly identify your life with Christ and say, I'm, I'm placing my mark here in the sand and I'm going to follow Jesus from this point forward. I'm going to identify my life with Jesus. I am not ashamed of him. And if you haven't been scripturally baptized, it's your opportunity to say yes and obey Jesus. And come as we close out this service, and even after, I'll be here to receive you. And you come and say, Pastor, I, I've trusted in Christ, but I've never been baptized. And I want to follow the example of Jesus. I want to be faithful, and I want to make him known. Let's bow our heads together just for a moment.